I've entitled this morning's message, Because He Loves Me. Now, I entitled it that because my husband likes short titles. <laughs> Otherwise, it really should be Sons of God, Part 3. <laughs> Sons of God through suffering and because he loves me. <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> this morning, I want to pick up pretty much where we left off last time that I ministered. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 again. And today we're going to take a closer look at what intercession is and what it does and how it works. The foundation of today's message is my last message, which was Sons of God, Especially Through Suffering. And that title never makes anybody happy. <laughs> but suffering and difficulties are part of everyday life. Nobody is exempt when you live in this fallen world. Previously, we looked at the part of Romans where the Apostle Paul encourages believers who are experiencing difficult times. He encourages them to stay in biblical hope. And biblical hope is the confident expectation of our Father's goodness showing up on our behalf because he loves us. And what has happened here this morning? I had biblical hope <laughs> that my Father's goodness was going to show up and show us how much He loves us. His goodness is evident. So biblical hope, the whole concept of hope, is that it's just a matter of time. It's real. Whatever it is I'm hoping for, it's real. It's in this earth, and it's going to come into my hands. I may not have it in my hands now, but it's just as real as if it is. I know it's mine. The check is written. It's in the mail. It's on the way. That's biblical hope, and that's the kind of hope that we have to have. We have been placed as sons of God to rule and reign on this earth, and we have right now an already present inheritance through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. The Apostle Paul also encourages the believers in Rome that while they're waiting to be cheerfully <laughs> waiting <laughs> in biblical hope for the goodness of God to show up, to stay in a Holy Spirit-assisted prayer. We need God for everything. I think sometimes we forget. We can't breathe without Him. We can't think without Him. We can't do anything without Him. We need His ever-presence with us. And we need to know and rely on it. The Apostle Paul assures believers that they never, not ever, for one second, ever go through a difficult time on their own. And that difficult times are never an indication of a lack of God's love or an indication of his disapproval. In fact, one of the evidences of our Father's love is the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We, as believers, have been given the Holy Spirit as a gift. The Holy Spirit has been given, given to us. Not loan. He's not on loan. He's not a temp. <laughs> he's permanently ours. Because in the church you hear so much of the, oh, be careful, be careful, you'll scare the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that we lose sight of the fact that God has presented us with this beautifully wrapped gift. I see it this way. It's like sparkly white wrapping paper. 
and has this really brilliant gold sparkly bow. I'm a girl, I like sparkly. <laughs> and you open it up, and inside there's a person. God gave us a person, a God person. And he said, open your mouth and I'll fill it. <laughs> and the God person comes in and lives with us forever. <laughs> and then he wants us to know what this gift does for us. The Holy Spirit is in us and with us to help us. The Holy Spirit is our very own permanent helper <laughs> because we need help <laughs> in everything. <laughs> in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says this. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. <laughs> he doesn't leave when you mess up. He doesn't leave when you have a pity party. He doesn't leave if you're having a temper tantrum. He doesn't leave because he knows when you're doing that, you really need him. <laughs> now, a helper is somebody who gives aid, who gives strength, who gives assistance, who provides the means to accomplish deliverance from every distress or difficulty. Can you say yum? <laughs> and then he goes on this Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth he never lies he never exaggerates this is good to know <laughs> he never exaggerates and he never underestimates he always speaks the truth and only the truth he says whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he says this, I will not leave you as orphans, which means comfortless. I will come to you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the King James. Instead of helper, he says comforter. He does both of those things. And see, that's what a helper would do when you were in pain. He would bring you comfort. But a helper comes and does everything that you need him to do. If you need comforting, he comforts you. If you need strengthening, he strengthens you. If you need help, he helps you. Praise God. And I love that because it says, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphans are those who have no parents. Orphans are those who have no help. Orphans are those who have no love. And he says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will be all those things to you. So we are never alone. We are never an orphan. No matter how alone we may feel, we have our very own helper, our own comforter, our own intercessor with us at all times. So we are never helpless. We are never helpless. Satan loves to tell believers, you are powerless and you are helpless. He is so deceived. <laughs> our Holy Spirit, God person, helps us to have biblical hope when it's hard to have hope. And he helps us to pray, especially when it's hard to pray. When we have no idea how to pray as we ought, and as we ought means that we have no idea how to pray is necessary to get the job done. Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray. 
our Holy Spirit God person will in us help us to pray as is necessary for every situation. The only hook is he won't do without you. <laughs> he isn't going to pray instead of you. <laughs> you see, he's a helper. He doesn't do it for us. He helps us to do what we need to do. But the Holy Spirit does it specifically in accordance with our Father's will for our life. Our Holy Spirit God person knows the perfect thing to pray in every situation. Now, knowing that, why do we find ourselves not praying? Now, I know this isn't for you. This message is just for me. I'm just going to let us share with you, okay? <laughs> when the Holy Spirit had me ask that question, I laughed and said, because we are dumb. <laughs> because what we do is, instead of praying and getting our answer, our direction, our comfort, our peace, our joy, whatever, our strength, instead of doing that first, we go looking for all the answers. We go looking for the doctor's report. We go looking for what helps this and that. We go looking at how to accomplish that and the other. And then when we're frustrated and confused and don't know what to do anyway, then we think, hmm, maybe I should pray about this. <laughs> when I was chuckling at myself, dumb, God says, what does dumb mean? And I'm thinking, I mean, stupid. He goes, no, 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 technically. In the dictionary, if you look up the word dumb, what does it mean? So that's what I did. Dumb means without words. When we don't know how to pray about something, we don't. When I heard about the shooting in Las Vegas, I had no words. You just have, oh my. But my first instinct is silence. Because I don't know how to pray for the families of those who've lost someone, someone that they love has been shot. How on earth do you pray for someone like that? I had no words. So I prayed some simple, dear Jesus, please help him. <laughs> Jesus will use that. But you know what? Is that praying as is necessary to accomplish something? When we have no words, and we don't know what to say, and we don't know what to pray, we don't usually really intercede. We don't take the time to bring the kingdom of God into their earth. But we can. We have our very own God person living on in the inside of us who is more than willing to give us the appropriate words, especially through our prayer language. But you know, it takes time and some discomfort. It's easier to go, Jesus, just help them. Just help. I don't want to look at the pain. Just help them. But that's not bringing heaven to earth. That's pity. This message is for me. <laughs> I'm just sharing it with you. <laughs> Another reason that we might find ourselves not praying is because we misinterpret Romans 8.28, which says this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, when I said no one here misinterprets that, I believe that. 
because the vast majority of the Christendom believes that everything comes from God, even evil. So why would they pray or intercede for those who are experiencing great misery and sorrow? Why would they bother? Because God's just going to make it all okay. There's no intercession needed. We don't need to bring heaven into their earth, right? God's going to fix it. I don't have to do nothing. Unfortunately, a large percentage of the world of Christians believes exactly that. The way they understand bad things that happen is that they're really not bad. That's what they believe. When bad things happen, it really isn't bad. It just looks bad. It's really good. Because God's going to take that and make everything good come out of it. So it's not really evil. It's not really bad. It's actually good. So why would you pray? See, it relieves them of any responsibility (laughs) of bringing heaven into somebody else's earth. This, of course, is a lie. God does not have a magic wand that turns evil things into good. He doesn't. He says evil things are evil. He doesn't go, abracadabra, evil thing turned into something good. That is not what God does. God hates evil and he hates suffering. Those are not the tools of his trade. God does not need to hurt people in order to help them. (laughs) People are usually in a big enough mess all on their own. (laughs) And they already do need God's help. (laughs) God doesn't need to hurt them so that he can help them. God always desires to bring his very own goodness into every evil situation. God always wants to bring healing and comfort and peace and protection. God always wants to bring heaven into our earth. He is never, not ever, the cause of evil, and he never turns evil into something good. But what he does do is he triumphs over evil with his goodness. God conquers hate with love. God conquers death with life. God conquers chaos with peace. And God conquers evil with good. God is so good at bringing his goodness into our situations that when we let him, in hindsight, when we're on the other side of the difficulty, it will look like he turned evil into good. That's why they find that theology so comforting. Because God is so good at bringing his goodness and his answer to every problem into our situation that it looks like, well, it all worked out just fine, so it must have been God's will for that bad thing to happen. No, it just shows you how good our Father is. That he conquers the evil. That he conquers our challenges. He conquers those evil things that come against us. He is so good at bringing his goodness in and overwhelming the evil that it looks like he planned it that way the whole time. Our Father is really good at being good to us. This kind of thing reminds me of Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Lots of good stuff in that verse. Because of this kind of thing, I was asking God, God, do you really cause bad things so that you can rescue people? Is that really who you are? Because my church told me he was. And then one day I had this revelation. Wait a minute. If God's in control of everything, that means he's causing people to sin. 
Oh, well, that ain't right. <laughs> and God said, I am not in charge of everything. You are. You choose how you live your life. They choose how they live their life. I have given them power and dominion, whether they use it properly or not. I gave humanity the keys to the car and said, don't drive stupid. But they continuously drive stupid. <laughs> but with this scripture, that no weapon is formed against me, God gave me this picture years ago, and I love this picture, because he's so good at turning what is bad, so messing up the evil that he brings good. Give me this picture. Satan comes at us with a sword, some kind of weapon meant to bring destruction into our lives. But our daddy sees him afflicting us and poking us with his sword. And so our daddy comes along, takes the weapon out of Satan's hands, because he's powerless against God, and he gives the weapon, the very same weapon, to us. The very same weapon. And he says, okay, now beat his brains out with this. Beat his brains out with what he tried to do to you. Beat his brains out. And oh yeah, in case you have a, a hard time with that, I'll hold him still so you can beat his brains out with it. <laughs> God says, I am so good at bringing good. I am so good at doing you good that I will help you stomp all over that enemy. When he comes against you with sickness, disease, poverty, lack, evil of any kind, he says, I will take the sword away and let you beat his brains out. <laughs> Because that's who you are in this world. You are a son of God. You were meant to walk in triumph all the time. Evil is a real reality in this world, but it doesn't get to triumph. It doesn't get to win. We do. But we can't sit on the sideline going, I'll take care of it. God doesn't beat his brains out. It's our job. <laughs> it's our job. We need to cooperate. <laughs> and beat his brain down. <laughs> now just because our Father is really good at bringing good and overcoming evil with good, doesn't mean we ignore evil. Romans 12, 21 says this, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We don't return evil for evil. That doesn't accomplish anything. Good conquers evil. Love conquers hate. This doesn't mean that we let people get away with doing evil, with a little slap on the hand, don't do that, Jesus loves you. Right after the, place, the Apostle Paul says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good, he tells them, so every man should be in submission to authorities, because the authorities do not bear the sword in vain. Don't make the authorities take a sword to you. <laughs> God is not okay with evil. God's not okay with us ignoring that evil is going on. God says we all have a part to play in conquering and overcoming evil in this world. In Romans 8, 28a, this is in the ERV version. I like the first half. The ERV version sometimes cracks me up. <laughs> but it came the closest out of all the versions I could look at to actually saying what the Apostle Paul's intent was. We know that in everything, God works for good, for those who love him. At first I thought, isn't that backwards, Jesus? Shouldn't that be for all those who love? And he's like, well, if they don't love me, they don't trust me, they're not coming to me, they don't have the God person living on the inside of them to help them with everything they need, so, no. <laughs> 
because they won't let me. They don't want me to interfere in their life. Those who love me, they want me to interfere. They know who they are. They know they are loved. You see, and that's always the thing, is those people who love Jesus, know Jesus loves them. In 1 John 4, 19, it says this, We love him because he first loved us. Our love for Jesus is always a response. Always a response. Because we love him and trust him, we bring him our needs and our desires, our cares and our concerns through prayer. And we should. We ought always to pray. In Luke 18, 1, it says, And they, men, ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's not Jesus shaking his finger. You are always to pray. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm giving you this God person on the inside of you so that you can rule and reign in life. And oh, by the way, you do that through praying. You do that by interceding. You do that by bringing heaven to earth. So you ought always to be bringing heaven to earth. Always. Why? Because you can. Because you can. Because really, you want to. You want heaven on earth as much as Jesus does. So that's what he's saying. He's not saying, bad, bad, you ought to pray more. No. It's like, you get to, you get to rule and reign with Christ. And he says that praying and losing heart don't go together. He says, if you are losing heart, which means to lose your biblical hope, you've stopped expecting God's goodness to show up in your life, it's because you have stopped praying. <laughs> if you're depressed and you think nothing good is coming, you have stopped praying. You have stopped seeing the goodness of your Father. You have stopped seeing the goodness of your Jesus. And when you go to prayer, you have to see those things. You have to see who He is and what He's done for you. When you see those things, you cannot help but pray and worship. Praise God. The Apostle Paul was really big on praying. Ephesians 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says it's really, really important. Colossians 4, 2, never stop praying. Again, DRV cracks me up. Never stop praying. Be ready for anything by praying and being thankful. What? Be ready for anything? How? <laughs> by praying and being thankful. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. That one right there. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything. You see, we're anxious because we haven't yet prayed. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So praying, whether in English or in the Spirit, is a continual communication. Most of the time, we understand that when we pray for someone else, it, we understand what it is we're trying to do. We're trying to bring heaven into their earth. We take hold of heaven with one hand and somebody else's need with the other. And we link them together. We call it prayer. But in Romans 8, 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul calls this making intercession. In Romans 8, 26, it says this, And in like manner, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity, any weakness. He is the strength. He is what fills up our infirmity. For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts 
knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. An intercessor is always somebody who takes a hold of one thing and tries to connect it to another. That's what an intercessor does. Now, both of these verses, it says maketh intercession. So you would think that those would be exactly the same word. They're not. I was kind of surprised about this. You see, in the first one, 826, maketh intercession is hooper into kano. In 27, it's just into kano. And I thought, that's odd. <laughs> the Apostle Paul loves the word hooper. You know, exceedingly above, above and beyond. He likes to add the word hooper to everything. If it has anything to do with Jesus, it's hooper. <laughs> Over and above, exceedingly and abundantly. That's what hooper means. So he says in the first one, in, in 826, the Holy Spirit is making hooper intercession. <laughs> and I was like, that's really cool. And then in 27, it just says to make intercession. In Tango. Just ordinary, perfect intercession by God. So I was like, hmm, I wonder why that is. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, what exactly is intercession? Now, most of us think of intercession as just praying, asking God to do something. So if you look it up, this is what it says. To chance upon, that is, by implication, confer with. I thought, okay, I get that. You're talking to God. You're having a conversation. You and God are working things out here. Okay, that's intercession. I get that. By extension to entreat in favor or against. God, stop evil. Be against that. God, be in favor of me. Bless me. <laughs> I get that. To deal with and to make intercession. Let's see. The definition of intercession is intercession. I was like, that is not helpful. <laughs> so I said, what is the root word? Intercession. The definition can't be intercession. There's got to be more to it than that. So the root word, tukano, means this. To make ready or to bring to pass. Like that. Woo -hoo 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 -hoo. Yeah, I like this one. <laughs> Intercession means to make ready and to bring to pass. Okay, now I like it. <laughs> and I added what we need. He brings to pass and brings to us what we need. But it goes on. It's the idea of affecting or properly to affect. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Okay, I was like, okay, this is what intercession is. It means specifically, though, to hit or light upon as a mark to be reached. That is, to attain or to secure an object or an end. And I thought, securing an object or an end, I like it. <laughs> Holy Spirit is praying with me, and we are securing... <laughs> what I need <laughs> and what I desire. The Holy Spirit is hooper interceding for me. I like it. But it goes on. It says, or happen as if meeting with, perchance. And I thought, oh, that sounds very um, coincidental. And God's like, doesn't it? You ever have those? Those coincidences that you know aren't a coincidence? <laughs> Intercession has been made. And what looks like just happened to show up when you needed it to show up was a God incidence, not a coincidence. <laughs> Somebody was praying. The idea is that two things or two people meet unexpectedly. You ever hear of suddenly? <laughs> I love suddenly. It is that, oh, you answered me already? <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> 
<laughs> but this picture, this hit upon, hit or light upon as a mark to be reached, is actually an archery term and picture. The Apostle Paul liked archery. <laughs> because a sin is to miss the mark of perfection. You have a bullseye, you have a target, there's a bullseye. And when you don't hit the bullseye, you hit off bullseye, that's called a sin. You've missed perfection. If you shoot an arrow and it goes beyond the target, that's called a transgression. You're going past the target entirely, <laughs> you're breaking the law. <laughs> he says that's transgression. But this, he says, is hitting the bullseye. Intercession is when two things or two people meet and it's one thing hits the target and they come together. He says that's, that's when something is accomplished. That's when intercession has been, has been made. The idea is to attain or apprehend what you're aiming at with your prayer. Praise God. Now, the problem with intercession is we get back to that we don't know what we're supposed to pray or how we're supposed to do it. <laughs> it's not knowing what to pray and, and all of that. So the truth is sometimes we don't even know where the target is, much less where our arrows are or even if we have a bow. <laughs> or like... I have no idea what I'm supposed to be asking for in this situation, Lord. Uh, where is that bow? And I think I left my arrows at home today. We really don't know how helpless we are when it comes to prayer. <laughs> we don't know what to pray as we ought to get the necessary results that we're looking for. But our inside God person does know. Sometimes in our ignorance and sorrow and grief and fatigue, and impatience and suffering and sometimes yes even selfishness believers can sometimes pray the wrong things like me six years ago or so i'm guessing it was that long ago i don't know when i had fibromyalgia really bad so one day i would be praying i am healed by the stripes of jesus and the next day it's like i am so tired of this jesus take me home just take me home i don't want to live like this this is not living take me home that's a little bit selfish. <laughs> the truth is, if Jesus had answered my prayer, none of you would be here this morning because we would not have gone to Karis and we would not have started a church. You matter. You matter. Don't you dare be going home early. <laughs> you matter. You're here for a purpose. You matter. You have no idea how valuable you are or what the difference you make. Only God can weigh that in eternity. And we have no idea how to pray. We have no idea about what God wants to do in and through us either. We have no business going home early. <laughs> That's just the mom talking. No going home early. <laughs> but sometimes when we're suffering, the Roman believers that Paul was writing to, they were suffering great persecution. And that's the temptation to pray. Just take me out. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore, Jesus. This is too hard. This is not life. See, they don't give up on Jesus. They just give up on living. Don't do that. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 15. He said this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This world needs the Jesus in you. This world needs the Jesus in you. This world needs the intercession that's inside of you. You are too valuable to go home. 
We need to finish our race, just like the Apostle Paul finished his. During the time that the Apostle Paul wrote the Romans, there were probably a lot of people tempted to pray that way. Just take us home. They were tempted to give up on their hope, their confident expectation of God's goodness showing up in their life. So the Apostle Paul assures them that the Holy Spirit helps them, strengthens them, intercedes with them and for them in the midst of their hard time. The Holy Spirit helps us as believers not only to take hold of what we need, but to take hold of that which is in accordance with God's will. Sometimes believers want and pray for dumb stuff. (laughs) I am reminded about a, a testimony that I saw on TV years and years and years and years ago about a Christian woman who found out that she was pregnant. And during the course of the pregnancy, she found out that she was carrying a child with a birth defect. I think it was spina bifida. I'm not not sure, but I think that's what it was. So she knew her child would not be able to walk when it was born. So she decided that would be too hard, too hard for the child and too hard for her. So she told God, she says, I don't want this baby. I can't abort it myself. So I'm asking you to do it for me. Take this child away from me. For the child's sake and for my sake, take this child away. And she pleaded with God for months. She didn't want the responsibility of raising a child with such extensive special needs. She knew that would be a really hard thing to do. But as she continued to relate her story, with tears streaming down her face, she introduced her then three-year-old daughter to the audience. The little girl was beautiful and joyful and happy and normal, except she needed a special apparatus in order to walk. But other than that, she was the greatest joy of her mother's heart. At the end of the interview, she says to the interviewers, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that God did not give me what I asked for because I did not know. I did not know what I was asking for. Now, of course, she didn't have a right understanding of who God really is. She didn't understand that she was the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Father in Christ. She didn't know her Heavenly Father's heart for her and for her child, that he loved them with an everlasting and unbelievable love. She didn't understand that God is only good and doesn't go around taking babies away from their parents. She didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was helping her and protecting her and her child from her own ignorance and selfishness. Don't you just love your inside God person? (laughs) When we're dumb, when life gets hard and we pray stupid stuff. The Holy Spirit says, we're not sending that one to the throne room. (laughs) That one does not qualify. (laughs) Sometimes our prayers can be really selfish. Sometimes when we can't see what God has planned, we can pray really dumb prayers. But praise God for our inside God person who intercedes in accordance with the Father's plan (laughs) and not ours. The Holy Spirit only intercedes to connect us with our Father's goodness. When the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, it is to connect our weakness with his strength, to connect our need with his supply, and to connect our ignorance with his knowledge, all in accordance with God's good plans for us. God's plans and supplies are only good. God never plans evil for us. I love Jeremiah 29:11, but I like it in the net version because it sounds sassy. 
<laughs> for I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. In trying to understand exactly what intercession is, what we need to do is we need to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is a perfect picture of what it means to make intercession. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is he that condemneth? Nobody. He already tells us in verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who condemns? No one. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also maketh intercession for us. Most translations change this from make intercession to interceding. Now, that's a problem. There are three or four different words for prayer, which mean to implore, to beseech, to worship, to ask, to supplicate. None of those words are this word. This word is not what you call simple praying. This is something entirely different. Intercession is not a work that Jesus performs on our behalf. Jesus is not laboring in prayer for us to the Father. That is the picture, though, that almost every scholar I could find, that's how they look at it. You know why? Because they don't believe in the finished work. They write sermons that say, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father going, Father, forgive them! You know what that looks like in my head? The Father looks at Jesus like, Excuse me, son. <laughs> Didn't you go to the cross? Didn't you already take care of everybody's sin? Isn't everybody in you already forgiven? Isn't all the sin of the world already paid for? Why are you asking me to do what I've already done? Does that make sense? No. Okay, how about healing? Father, heal them! They're sick! They're dying! Father, heal them! And the Father looks at Jesus. Uh, excuse me, son. Didn't you go to the cross? <laughs> Didn't you take all sickness and disease with you? Didn't you give everybody that believes in you life eternal? Why are you asking me to do what I've already done? How about provision? Father, they need food and clothes. And Father, they need... Excuse me, son. <laughs> Didn't you go to the cross to undo the curse so that all they could live in the blessing and have everything they need? You see, most of the Christendom thinks Jesus isn't done. That he has to plead and beseech the Father because we are all so bad we don't deserve anything good. <laughs> most scholars think we're still sinners. They don't recognize the fact that we've been made the very righteousness of God, that he has placed us as sons inside of Christ. We're at the right hand of the Father. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus is not begging and pleading for anything. That's not what intercession is. Intercession is bringing either two things together or two people together. Everybody has been forgiven if they're in Christ. Everything's been provided for. Everyone's been healed, protected, made wise, made sanctified. <laughs> Everything is finished in Christ. So Jesus isn't begging for anything. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have conversations about us. This is the way I see it. Jesus nudges the Father and says, Look! Look! They found out who they are. <laughs> Go warn Satan. <laughs> Father, look over here. Look at this one. This one just figured out they have heaven inside. 
oh, oh, did you see this one over here? They figured out they already have their healing. Oh, and this one over here, they already figured out they are approved. Oh, and this one over here, they figured out there's nothing at all wrong with them. That's the kind of conversations I think they're having. There's no need to beg and to plead. Everything has been accomplished in Christ. Now, some Christians might balk at that idea that Jesus isn't asking the Father to do stuff for us. In John chapter 16, verses 23 through 27, says this. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. He's talking after he is crucified and risen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Our Father doesn't need to be coerced into blessing us, loving us, taking care of us, listening to us, helping us. He loves us, and he wants to bless us and take care of us. But Jesus isn't asking the Father to do stuff. Everything's already been accomplished through Christ. So intercession is what Jesus' finished work on the cross produced for us. His death, burial, and resurrection provides continual access for us so that two people can meet. That the father and the child can come together. That's what intercession provides. He, as our intercessor, provides the environment within himself where two very different persons can meet and become one. Jesus took hold of humanity in one hand and God the Father in the other hand. And he provided the place in himself where the two could meet. Jesus is the place of intercession. The picture that this paints for me is this. I am an arrow and my father's heart is the bullseye. And the only one who is able to get me to the target is Jesus. Because of Jesus, nothing and no one can ever pull me out of my father's heart, my father's presence, or my father's hand. Nothing can separate me from his love. Romans 8.31 says this, What shall we say to these things? All the things in chapter 8 that he's talked about, what should we say to these things? He says, in the light of suffering, in the light of evil, in the light of hard times, what do we say about this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Our Father is in favor of us. He is in favor of our success. He's in favor of our healing. He's in favor of our joy, our provision. He's in favor of us. He is in favor of who we are. How much is he in favor of us? So much so that he did verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do not let difficult circumstances talk you out of your Father's love. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God's elect are those who are in covenant with, with the Father. It is God who justifies. Nobody can bring a charge against you. You see, and they do. 
I know really terrible stories where churches have told people, your problems are because you're in sin. Your baby died because you're a sinner. Your husband left you because you're a sinner. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Don't let circumstances or men tell you that you are disqualified from what belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Who may bring a charge against you? No one. It is God who declares us innocent. It is God who has justified us. We are pure and righteous in his sight. Nothing at all. No judgment, (laughs) no scolding, no spankings, none of that. (laughs) Verse 34, who is to condemn? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Nobody gets to condemn us because he is interceding. It does not mean he's pleading. He's providing the continual access. That's why it says in Hebrews that he ever liveth to make intercession. He doesn't ever liveth to pray and plead and beg. That's not what he's doing. Because he lives, we have access. That's the intercession. He is the intercession, the one that brings two people together. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love this. Shall tribulation, you can just hear the Apostle Paul getting all spunky here. Shall tribulation, he's thinking, no. How about distress? Nope. Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He's thinking, is that the best you got? Is that the best you got? Can anything separate me from the love of my Father and his goodness? Absolutely not. So don't let difficulties in life convince you that God's love for you has changed (laughs) or left. The Apostle Paul wants his readers to be convinced in their own hearts that nothing can ever separate you from your Father's love. Nothing. And he says in 36, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's talking about the we as the apostles. They endured great persecution. He was always getting killed, basically. They were always putting him to death and he wasn't dying. (laughs) All for the sake of the message of grace for the message of grace, because he refused to let anybody add anything to Jesus Christ. He says, you can't add baptism, and you can't add circumcision, and you can't add law-keeping, and you can't add the Sabbath-keeping, you can't add anything. And because of that, they tried to kill him. <laughs> he said, no, it's Jesus. It's only Jesus. <laughs> 37, no, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Apostle Paul boasts that not only can hardship not separate us from God's love, but they are mere trifles over which we have the power to easily and entirely overcome. How could he say that? It is because when we see them in the light of the truth of our Father's love for us, they become small and insignificant. If God be for us, who or what can be against us? Our Father is able to work good in the midst of any difficulty, to bring forth his goodness and his victory and his triumph. Basically, the Apostle Paul is saying, we eat this stuff for breakfast. (laughs) This stuff is nothing in the light of who our Father is. This is nothing in the light of eternity. This is nothing in the light of what he has done for me. It is nothing. I triumph in Christ. I have triumphed. I will triumph. Nothing will keep me from triumph because he has already overcome. He has already conquered. And because he can, I can too. And then he says, I am sure, I am positive, I am confident that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
the Apostle Paul is basically saying we need to see our troubles in the light of all that Christ has done. When we see our troubles in the light of our Father's love for us, in the light of what Jesus' continual intercession does for us, in the light of the fact that God has given us His Holy Spirit, we have our very own God person (laughs) in us to help us intercede, to help us bring heaven to earth. In the light of that, in the light of the fact that we have been placed as sons to rule and reign on our Father's behalf, in light of the fact that we are no longer slaves, in the light of the fact that we have glorious new bodies coming, <laughs> in the light of the fact that nothing at all in all of creation can separate us from our Father's love, then we must, we must consider ourselves more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Then when we look to you, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. When we look to the truth of who you are and what you've done and who you are in us, that you have given us our very own God person on the inside who will help us pray, who will help us intercede, who will help us take hold of our need and you and bring them together. That we are never helpless. We are never hopeless. We are never without help. Because you have given us everything we need. You've already provided everything through the Lord Jesus Christ. He continually provides access to everything. The finished work has provided. And we, by the Holy Spirit, can access everything he has finished. But more than anything else, Father, the truth that we are your children, that you love us, that everything that you have done, you have done because you love us. And that love keeps us and protects us. I thank you, Father God, that the Holy Spirit doesn't send you our stupid prayers. I thank you, Father God, that you intercede on behalf of us and you do superabundant intercession. You are the one who prays in such a way that we can have above and beyond that which we ask or think because you are asking and thinking on our behalf with us. There is nothing we can't do through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. I ask, Lord, that you keep this message in our mind, in our heart, that when trouble comes, that we can look at them and say, you are nothing in the light of my Jesus. I have been made more than a conqueror through Christ. I will not go home early because I am more than a conqueror. I will not be without what I need because I am more than a conqueror. I will bring heaven to earth in Jesus' name. Amen.